The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Did you know that breast cancer is the most common cancer diagnosed in Australian women? October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so we speak with Dr. Professor Saunders, who in 2017 was WA Scientist of the Year and is internationally recognised as one of Australia's most prominent research-orientated cancer surgeons and sits on many important cancer organisation boards. Professor Saunders is a breast cancer surgeon at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco. So we are with Professor Saunders and we are going to be speaking about breast cancer today on MediTalk. Thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. How many women and men in Australia are affected by breast cancer? Well, unfortunately, breast cancer is the commonest uh, cancer that affects women in this country, which means around one in eight of us by the age of 85 will develop breast cancer. And that translates into around 18,000 women newly diagnosed with breast cancer this year and around 100, 150 men. Wow. And is survival improving? Fortunately, yes. That's the really good news. Survival has improved really quite dramatically over the last 30 years or so. Since since I qualified as a doctor, um, survival has improved around 30%. And there's some good reasons for that. Probably the most important reason is that we now have better treatments. Those include both better surgical treatments, but really importantly, better drug treatments as well to, to both treat the cancer and stop it coming back. But there's also been some great advances in better early detection as well through population screening programs such as Breast Screen Australia program and also through the fact that women are now aware that if they have a problem in their breast, they should get it checked out and get it checked out early. So what puts women at more risk of breast cancer? Well, there's a whole load of things that can put a woman at higher risk of developing breast cancer in her lifetime. As I say, it's common. Around one in eight of us will develop breast cancer, unfortunately. But there are some things we know that increase that risk. The first thing is, of course, being a woman. Um, Mm. You know, men very rarely get breast cancer. And so we need to look at what that is about women that increases their risk. And it's largely around the female hormones that we have. And so the longer you're sort of exposed in your lifetime to those female hormones, either the ones we make ourselves, and that goes back to what age you start your periods, what age you go through menopause, those things can put you at somewhat higher risk, as can having very few or no children and not breastfeeding. But those are largely things we can't do anything about. Mm. They're just inherent in us. But also we know that some of the hormones that we can take can somewhat increase risk. And notably that's HRT because breast cancer, like most cancers, is a disease that is more common as we get older. So it is more common after the age of 50 then using HRT, certainly for an extended period, and using combined HRT with both estrogen and progesterone will slightly increase the risk of breast cancer. But there's some other things about us that we know will increase our risk a little as well. So we know that women who are more overweight, and particularly women who are actually obese, unfortunately are at increased risk. We know that having a sedentary lifestyle, in other words, not exercising, increases risk. And we also know that excess alcohol increases risk. So all of those things mean that we can make some lifestyle changes which can decrease our risk. So really those lifestyle changes are around 
the things that we say about a lot of diseases mm. in fact you know staying healthy keeping your your bmi or your body weight within a healthy range and ideally we, we talk about a BMI of less than 28 or so being healthy, making sure that you exercise. And by exercise, we mean ex doing something that makes you sweat for mm. at least 30 minutes a day, really. Um, or, you know, combining that into a few longer sessions of exercise each week and really limiting your alcohol. And for women, unfortunately, more than one standard drink a day really starts to put us in, at increased risk of a number of cancers, but notably breast cancer as well. So those are some things that women can do to decrease their risk. And if you do need to take HRT because you have a lot of menopause mm. symptoms, then that's fine. But maybe think about using it for a lesser amount of time. And in terms of alcohol, how much is a standard drink? Because I think some people's... Our definition of what a standard drink is can be quite different from what it actually is. Well, that's right. And fortunately, that's, that, that's now written on bottles. So you can actually have a look at your wine bottle or yeah. your beer bottle and see how much you're drinking. But it's it's not that much. Yes. Um, so And there's really no amount of alcohol that doesn't carry a bit of risk. But I think like all of these things, having you know a healthy diet, moderating your alcohol, doing some exercise, doing all things in, in moderation is probably the best advice. But then there's some other things that put us at increased risk of breast cancer. Around 5% of breast cancers are caused by something called an inherited genetic mutation. That is something that runs through families. Now, a lot of people nowadays are much more aware about those, partly because of Angelina Jolie. I was about yeah. to say, and so, is that the reason why, too, um, you're seeing sometimes younger women... Um, being diagnosed and you're quite shocked as a woman saying oh she's only 20 years of age so Angelina Jolie had something called a BRCA1 mutation yes. and, and there are a number of other mutations not just BRCA1 there's BRCA2 and a number of less common mutations and as I say around 5% of breast cancers are caused by those they're generally uncommon in the population less than 1% of the Australian population will carry one of these but they can be passed down from either the mother or the father's side to both daughters and sons and if you do carry one of these mutations, you're likely to have a fairly strong family history with not just breast, but ovarian cancer and some other cancers. You're also likely to have a number of members of the family who've had cancer at quite a young age. So you're quite right. Young women who develop breast cancer are more likely, it doesn't mean they have to have one of no. these mutations, but they're more likely to carry one. And if you do have one of these mutations, you're anywhere between a sort of 40 to 80% lifetime risk of getting breast cancer. So it is important for women who have a strong family history of breast and ovarian cancer, or also some ethnic groups, for example, people of Ashkenazi Jewish origin have much more likely to carry these mutations. So it's worth people who, who have that kind of family history to go and discuss that with their doctor and perhaps be referred to a specialist. And, and at St. John of God, we have a, a high risk surveillance clinic where mm. we can talk to people and consider referring them for genetic testing and genetic counselling if necessary. And I guess the one thing about those uh, mutations is there, it means if you know you have one, you can do something about mm. it to try to prevent the breast cancer. Now, to date, that something has been those lifestyle changes I talked about, but also sometimes preventative surgery. 
The really exciting thing is that within the next month at St. John of God in Subiaco, we'll be starting up the world first ever trial of a drug to try to prevent breast cancer in BRCA1 carriers. It's an international trial called the BRCA-P trial. So I'm really delighted to be able to say that St. John's will be participating in this and we'll be running a clinic specially for these women. Wow, that is amazing. There's a couple of other things I think it's important to think about when we think about risk. And one other thing I'd like to mention is women who have mammograms which are called dense. Now, that's when when you have a mammogram, you Mm. can see the breast tissue and it's a sort of variation between white and grey. If there's lots of white on the mammogram, that means you have dense mammographic density, increased mammographic density. And that's a a sort of a double-edged sword because one, it means you have a somewhat increased risk of breast cancer. At the moment, we don't really know what to do about that. But it also means it's quite hard to see cancers on a mammogram and to detect them early. So for those women, we again suggest they talk with their doctor and perhaps consider the addition of an ultrasound to screen their breasts. So putting it all together, those Mm. are some of the risk factors, some lifestyle risk factors for a small number of people, their family history and perhaps one of these genetic mutations and things like mammographic density. There's a lot of work going on into the future to try to identify other things and Mm. possibly by blood tests as well. So to look at other genetic markers of risk, which are not as strong a risk as that BRCA1 mutation that makes you have an 80% lifetime risk. Mm. But perhaps if you've got a lot of little mutations that come together, they're things called SNPs. And we've got a lot of work going on to try to identify those both in Australia and around the world. So we're hoping that into the future, we can kind of tailor people's screening and surveillance programs to their risk. So how are people currently diagnosed with breast cancer? Because I thought it was just a mammogram, but it sounds like you can also be diagnosed via an ultrasound. So... Breast cancer presents in a number of ways. Mm. Around two-thirds of breast cancers present with the woman having a symptom herself. So having the commonest symptom is a lump in the breast. That's the commonest thing to look out for. But there are other symptoms of breast cancer, such as a change in the nipple, a change in the shape of the breast, redness or change in the skin texture, or sometimes a lump under the arm. These are all ways that breast cancer can can show and Mm. so really any of those symptoms a woman should promptly report to her general practitioner in the first instance and then perhaps see a specialist for further tests about a third of breast cancers are found on screening programs whether that's through breast screen wa or through other screening programs a woman going for regular mammograms and ultrasounds When should a woman start self-examination? So self-examination is actually not something we recommend, in fact. Well, we we probably would recommend it to those very high-risk women I talked about with BRCA mutations. But for other women, there's been some good studies that show that regular monthly breast self-examination actually does more harm than good. Really? Because people come back finding symptoms that turn out to be nothing. So what we strongly recommend now is to be breast aware. Okay. And what does that mean? Yeah, what what does that mean? (laughs) So what that means is knowing the shape and the feel and the look of your own breasts and, you know, occasionally perhaps having a feel of your breasts Mm. once every few months or so, but making sure that you know what's normal for you and you know if you're premenopause or how your breasts may change through a menstrual cycle. And if something persists through the menstrual cycle, through a few cycles, or if you're post-menopause and you have a change that's different from you, 
then present with that change to a doctor. So that's called breast awareness. Mm. And that's a little bit different from yes. that ritual breast, breast self-examination. Certainly is. Thank you for clarifying. So in terms of signs and symptoms that people should be aware of that are sort of little red flags that then you mentioned some before, but just to make them extra clear for people that they should be aware of and they should then think, yeah, I need to see and speak to a GP. So really any change in your breast you need to be aware of. But we also understand that the vast majority of lumps and bumps in the breast turn out to be benign. So if you're older, you should probably be more worried about anything that changes. But even if you're a young woman, a change that, as I say, persists through the cycle, such as a lump or a change in the shape of the breast or a change in the nipple or discharge from the nipple, you really need to get that checked out. Mm. And what will that checking out be? Well, it'll usually, as you say, be going to see your GP who may refer you directly on to a specialist or may arrange a mammogram and an ultrasound and often a needle test as well mm. of that area so we can get some cells out to see what it is. Putting all that together, it's called the triple test in breast cancer and we need to make sure that all those things fit together. Once breast cancer is diagnosed in a woman, then we can look at how, how that breast cancer is based on a number of factors. The first thing is looking at whether it's just in the breast or if it's spread to the lymph nodes under the arm. And if it's confined to the breast and or lymph nodes, that's an early stage breast cancer, stage one or two, or sometimes stage three breast cancer. If the cancer is spread elsewhere in the body, so if it's a very big lump or with lymph nodes involved, we look at the rest of the body to ensure that cancer hasn't spread elsewhere, such as to the bones or the liver. And if it has, unfortunately, that's called metastatic or advanced breast cancer, which is stage four. There's also something called locally advanced breast cancer, and that really means that the breast cancer within the breast is either very large or it's involving the skin or inflamed. Um, all of those, what that means is that starts to give us a clue as to the best kind of way to manage and treat that breast cancer. But it's not just how far the cancer spread. What's really important for us is also understanding the pathology. In other words, what does the cancer look like under the microscope? And we do a number of tests to look at that cancer under the microscope, either on the bio needle biopsy or when it's been removed. And again, they help us decide on different treatments. And what are the varying treatment options now available in Australia? So for most women, um, surgery will be their first option. Although increasingly now we're beginning to use drug treatments, certainly for larger tumours and certain subtypes of tumour, those things under the microscope we see, something called a triple negative breast cancer. We're starting to use drugs first to shrink the tumour down. But for most women still, it will be an operation first. Mm. An operation generally is divided into either a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Mm. And the, the, whether you need one or the other will depend on a whole host of factors. Fortunately, most women can have a lumpectomy now. So around 70% of women what will be is, able to preserve their that, breasts. Exactly. Just removing the, <laughs> the tumour with an okay. area around it. And at the same time, we usually sample one or more of those lymph glands under the arm that I talked about, which is very important to know if it's spread there. Mm. If a woman does need a mastectomy, most of the time she can also consider a breast reconstruction. That's not right for all women, but for some women it is. And there's lots of different kinds of breast reconstruction that could be right for you or not. So again, mm. it's something to discuss with the breast surgeon and often with a plastic surgeon as well to decide on the best kind. But we can do a pretty nice job now with many breast reconstructions. But after surgery, most women will need other treatment. 
Now, if the breast cancer is localised to the breast, she may need some radiotherapy. Certainly after a lumpectomy, most women will, and a few women after mastectomy will need radiotherapy. For most women, they will need some other treatment to all of them, which is a drug treatment, certainly if the tumour is invasive cancer. And that will, again, depend on those things that we look at under the microscope. Is this tumour sensitive to female hormones? So do we need to give an anti-estrogen agent? Or is chemotherapy the best option? We also are increasingly having a whole range of fantastic new drugs called targeted therapies, where we look at very specific markers on an individual tumour and target some treatments against them. So drugs such as Herceptin was one of the first of those, but there are a host of others coming along. And are they just tablets that you take? They vary. So some are injections and some are tablets. And of course, unfortunately, all drugs have a range of side effects, so it's not an easy journey. Mm. But we do try very much now to to individualise treatments and to both the tumour and the patient to give them the best chance of both cure and minimising side effects. And you mentioned actually at the start of the podcast, it seems that the treatments are proving to be quite successful. They are. For most women, they are. And and, and our five-year survival rates, that's how we measure it. That doesn't mean people will fall off their perch in five years, but that's in clinical trials. We look out to five years or 10 years. And we can now say absolutely hand on heart that the vast majority of women will survive their breast cancer and in fact our current wa statistics i believe our five-year survival is 93 percent. so it's pretty good but that does mean that there are still some women where it will come back you know that seven percent and so we're working really hard to look at ways to stop that happening and there are some exciting things on the horizon Uh, perhaps one of the most exciting treatments that we're beginning to look at is immunotherapy so that's really helping your immune system recognize cancer as a bad thing and try and kill it off and that's been quite successful in some other cancers such as melanoma so we're beginning to look at it in certain subtypes of breast cancer and there's a number of clinical trials open using immunotherapy drugs some of those again at St John's. That's wonderful. What are some myths about breast cancer that it would be wonderful to clarify for people? Yeah well there's a lot of those unfortunately both about risk factors for breast cancer and also you know about things that can make your cancer come back or make it Mm. get better. I mean there's all sorts of things about using underarm deodorants no evidence that that causes breast cancer. Underwired bras no evidence that that causes breast breast cancer. Having specific diets, unfortunately, there's no one diet apart from a healthy diet that decreases your risk. So there's lots of things that people worry about that'll increase your risk that won't. And then once you get breast cancer, you know, a lot of people will try complementary therapies. Now, they're great at helping things like yoga or meditation, Reiki. They may be very useful at helping you control your symptoms and making you feel better. None of them will actually improve your cancer. There are also, unfortunately, alternative therapies, that Mm. is, things that people think they can use instead of conventional medicines. And unfortunately, they are alternative because there's no evidence to show that they do improve the outcome. And in fact, we know well that people who do use those instead of conventional medicines, unfortunately, usually do worse. So those are some of the myths around there around breast cancer. Okay. And I was um, reading that exercise, would people 
try and maintain some exercise, can that be beneficial when they're undergoing Ab- cancer treatment? Absolutely, 100%. We're, we're just putting out a, a new edition of the National Guidelines for Breast Cancer from Cancer Australia. I'm very lucky enough to chair the committee that's doing that. Mm. And one of the big things that we, we are putting out is that exercise during your treatment, even during your chemotherapy, 150 minutes a week of reasonably strenuous exercise is actually good for you. Not only does it make you feel better and may help some of your symptoms, but it also actually improves survival, at least in some small studies that we've done. So really something you can do for yourself. And there's some great exercise programs out there. One of the things that we've introduced at St. John's recently is something called a wellness after cancer clinic. And this, I think, has been a really useful thing. And certainly the patients who come through have thought it's useful because we put together a whole program for women, Mm. not only what to look out for in terms of things coming back and what tests they should be having, but how they can improve their general lifestyle and make themselves not only survive after breast cancer, but thrive after breast cancer, Mm. you know, and actually get well again. Do they know what it is that how exercise actually helps That's a good question. It's probably via the immune system, in fact. I think it's a combination of things. Mm. If if you're doing exercise, you're eating more healthily, your body weight is probably better, you don't have so much fat on you. Mm. So those are all good things that we know that that oestrogen, for example, is made in body fat in postmenopausal women. So less body fat, less oestrogen. Yeah. But also we know that it probably changes all sorts of things that we actually don't understand very well yet in the immune system. I mean, one exciting thing I can tell you that Mm. one of my colleagues who does research, again, doing some research at St. John's, Professor Rob Newton at ECU, Mm. this week, only this week on Tuesday, has won WA Scientist of the Year for his research in exercise after cancer. It's fantastic, I think, that, you know, he has been recognised for this research in improving outcomes using exercise, using exercise as a medicine. Yeah, and it does go back to exercise is not only good for prevention of disease, but it sounds like it's... It helps in the treatment, that's right. So we all need to get motivated to make it a part of our life. So what, you've been talking about research, so how does the future of research look for breast cancer? Well, there's so much going on in so many different areas. I couldn't, I, I could be here all day. <laughs> Even in WA, what's going on? I mean, yeah. we, we probably have around 100 active research projects in breast cancer in this state alone. But across all of that, you know, really from prevention right through to end of life care, there's some some good advances going on to improve both the length of people's life and the quality of their life. So, for example, in surgery, we've got a number of studies going on looking at how to, to really do less. That's something we're really interested in doing, to treat less rather than treat more. So what we call de-escalation studies. So for example, there's some studies around the world looking at um, very early breast cancers, perhaps treating them rather than doing an operation with getting them all out with a needle biopsy. And as a study we're hoping to participate in soon. Mm. We're also participating again at St. John's in a study where we're doing less surgery under the arm to those axillary lymph nodes. So a lot of work going on in that area. In the radiotherapy sphere, we're very interested again in, in tailoring radiotherapy to the individual. So not one size fits all, but really getting a radiotherapy approach that's better for you as an individual. Mm. So one way around doing that, which we've done a lot of, of work research on, is having intraoperative radiotherapy, which I'm really excited that we may be able to offer the first private hospital in the country soon to have at St. John's in Subiaco. 
And really in drug treatment, of course, there's an explosion of new new treatments, as I mentioned, from immunotherapy to new drugs modulating the way that our DNA works. So some exciting clinical trials. There's also a lot of research going on in, I guess you could call it the survivorship area. So for example, one study that we have at St. John's is called the positive trial, which is helping very young women who've had breast cancer get pregnant afterwards, you know, women who want to have a baby. So that's a, a lovely thing. And in fact, we've got two only this week who've Whoa. become pregnant within the positive trial. So it's it's a really, it's a nice thing, you know, w- women who've gone through so much at such a young yeah. age to be able to make their lives normal again and have a family is really important. So what was involved in that trial to help them? So what we're actually doing in the positive trial is we're looking at the effects of, of, of stopping their treatment, their endocrine treatment um, for a year or so while they become pregnant. And some of them may need help becoming pregnant. Some already may have perhaps embryos stored. So before yes. their chemotherapy, they may have stored their embryos. But looking at the effects of, of that treatment suspension on whether breast cancer comes back or not, mm. as well as looking at a whole load of other fertility factors in both the woman and, of course, her partner, which may or may not hamper her conceiving. Yeah. But that's a good news story to end on in that the research is really helping women survive breast cancer but also life after breast cancer yeah Yeah. so thank you so much for today i really appreciate you clarifying some myths and also helping us better understand breast cancer and the future of where the research is going thank you thank you a big thanks to professor saunders for sharing her time and knowledge and to learn more about professor saunders visit sjog.org.au If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.